The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We're looking through wooded areas. We're looking through bodies of water. We're looking through um, swampy areas. Um, and we're deploying the resources to be able to do that. We have air units. We have drones. We have the swamp buggies, air boats multiple law enforcement agencies, we have ATVs, we have UTVs, and we have officers on foot as well. Now he's a fugitive. There's a federal indictment, so he's now a fugitive, so, um, yeah, so he, they could get in a lot of trouble for that. This isn't about credit cards. This is about finding this man, trying to determine if he is responsible for the death of a young woman, and that's what the Bureau is using right now. We actually got behind a car yesterday and there was um, a Wyoming sticker and the, the letters were GBZ. Gabs. So Gabs. <laughs> She's with oh, us. No, She's with us. She's with us. We're continuing our trek down the timeline of Brian Laundrie's whereabouts, where and when people may have spotted him, and also, we'll find out what Gabby and Brian's friends have to say about their relationship and this horrific tragedy. On the outside, it's, he's very charismatic, so it seems very loving, and there's no doubt in my mind that she loves him, and I know that, and from how I've always seen it, he loves her. You're listening to Speaking of Crime. Norma Jean Jalovic is the second woman who has come forward saying she saw Brian hitchhiking and gave him a ride in the days leading up to Gabby's murder. She picked Brian up on August 29th while he was hitchhiking in Wyoming and proceeded to let him out at the campground where Gabby's body was eventually found. This was the same day Miranda Baker also gave him a ride. Brian got into her Toyota 4Runner around 6.15 p.m., which is only about five minutes after Miranda Baker reported dropping Brian off near Jackson Dam because he got agitated they were not heading in the direction he originally thought they were. While riding with Norma, Brian did mention his fiance and his time hiking near Snake River before being asked to be dropped off at Spread Creek Dispersed Campground. And as we know, that's where Gabby's body was eventually located. He has to be let out at the campground gates but Norma offered to drop him closer to his campsite. Rather than accept the invitation to be driven to his site, he tried to get out of the moving car and insisted again to be let out at the gate. Norma said she didn't realize it was Brian Laundrie that she had picked up until she saw the story of Gabby and Brian's ordeal go viral. 
Yet another strange occurrence took place about a week after Brian returned home to Florida without Gabby. Neighbors saw Brian and his family leave the house with a new camper. The couple, William and Charlene Guthrie, who lived directly across the street from the Laundrie family's Florida home, said it seemed the entire family went on a camping trip in a small new camper hitched on the family's truck. Brian's family loaded up the camper and left town for the weekend. Here's what William had to say. I was doing some work in the front yard and, you know, I noticed that they got got a new uh, uh, camper for the back of the pickup. And uh, I didn't think anything unusual. You know, they got a new uh, camper, so they wanted to uh, put their own touch uh, inside of it. I saw them doing some work. Um, uh, and um, then when they prepared for their trip, I, I saw them loading the camper. The parents going on a trip, I could see that, but taking their 23-year-old son in a small camper that's on the back of the truck struck us as odd. The neighbors don't know whether or not Brian in fact returned home with his parents after their supposed camping trip. What catches my attention here is that this camping trip was three days long, the exact number of days that Brian's parents waited to let authorities know that Brian had gone missing. Is it possible that this family camping trip had been a scouting mission to help plan a getaway for Brian? Or did Brian ever even come back from this camping trip? Did he actually have a much longer head start to hide from authorities? If Roberta and Christopher Laundrie have purposely led authorities to the swamplands as a decoy, it would be an extremely irresponsible and cruel thing to do, considering the number of people who have been searching day and night in very unsafe conditions, and the amount of resources and funding that has been put forth for these efforts, not to mention the obstruction of justice. On September 15th, police said Brian is refusing to cooperate in the investigation and named him a person of interest in Gabby's mysterious disappearance, but insisted that they didn't have grounds for an arrest. The question on everyone's mind is, why didn't Brian's parents alert authorities that he left on Tuesday? The reason for so much suspicion around Brian is directly related to his own actions, as well as the actions of his parents. Things are simply just not adding up. We know Brian and his dad moved Gabby's belongings just weeks before her death. Then Brian arrived at home alone and obviously told his parents something that prompted them to hire a lawyer. What he said to them, only the laundries could tell us. Then Brian and his parents went on a three-day camping trip days before he went missing. And finally, his parents waited three days before alerting the police that Brian was gone. If he did want to run, that would give him a three-day head start to disappear. None of these actions seem to align with what an innocent person would do. Josh Taylor, the Northport Police spokesperson, said he was the last person that we have information was around her. How do you define person of interest is up to you, but certainly we are interested in talking to him. The FBI obtained a search warrant for the laundry home on September 20th, where Brian and Gabby were living prior to the cross-country trek. 
they left with a number of computer-related items such as hard drives and other storage mediums, culminating with a silver Ford Mustang being towed from the laundry's driveway. Northport Police Chief Todd Garrison told CNN that Brian had invoked his Fifth Amendment right, meaning he can't be forced to make statements that might be used against him and has the right to protect himself from self-incrimination. Three days later, on September 23rd, an arrest warrant was issued for Brian for the unauthorized use of a debit card. The federal grand jury indictment filed in U.S. District Court in Wyoming says Brian Laundrie made unauthorized withdrawals worth more than $1,000 during the period in which Gabby went missing. It didn't state who the bank accounts of the Capital One card belonged to. However, Brian clearly used the card without permission from roughly August 30th through September 1st. Documents obtained by Business Insider from the Suffolk County Police Department show that Gabby did, in fact, bank with Capital One. CBS Miami reported that a source close to the family said Brian left his wallet and cell phone behind and that his parents are concerned that he might hurt himself. Once again, if Brian's parents were in fact concerned that he may hurt himself, why would they wait three days before reporting his absence to the police? The Laundry family lawyer, Steve Bertolino, made yet another insensitive statement emphasizing that the warrant was not for Gabby's death, but related to activities that took place afterwards. He said, it is my understanding that the arrest warrant for Brian Laundrie is related to activities occurring after the death of Gabby Petito and not related to her actual demise. The FBI is focusing on locating Brian and when that occurs, the specifics of the charges covered under the indictment will be addressed in the proper forum. Bertolino seems either oblivious or unconcerned about the fact that this arrest warrant gives the FBI the authority to detain Brian, which would be the first step to beginning their questioning and further investigation. Jack Rice, a criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor, and former federal agent said, If you look at what the, the Bureau, the FBI was trying to do here, they want a reason to hold him. Rice said the charges might seem small given the circumstances, but Brian can now be put under arrest if he is found by any law enforcement agency. The benefit of a warrant is that it goes nationwide, meaning it's not just about the FBI arresting somebody. It's actually any law enforcement personnel who comes upon that person. They want as many hands and as many boots on the ground as they can possibly get. He said lawyers and law enforcement are often still building other cases when they bring forward lesser charges. But in this case, use of a debit card could come with major consequences. This isn't just a fine. You could go to jail or technically even prison for something like this. But let's be honest, this isn't about credit cards. This is about finding this man, trying to determine if he is responsible for the death of a young woman. And that's what the Bureau is using right now. When Brian was simply a person of interest, law enforcement wouldn't be able to hold him. Now anyone helping Brian could face serious consequences. Greg Rogers, a retired FBI agent, said this in reference to anyone who may be helping Brian. 
They're going to get charged for aiding and abetting and harboring a fugitive and all that. So because there's a federal indictment, so he's now fugitive. So um, yeah, so he they could get in a lot of trouble for that. Uhoff Law PA, a firm out of Northport, announced that it's offering a $20,000 reward to the first person to supply information leading to the exact whereabouts of Brian. On Wednesday, September 22nd, a small crowd gathered in Salt Lake City to mourn Gabby's death. Serena Chavez, who organized the vigil, addressed the group saying, We won't forget about you. We won't let your light dim. We will remember other women and children who are missing. Their families are devastated. And I can only imagine what Gabby's family is going through. There were hundreds of teal ribbons put up all over Gabby's hometown of Blue Point by residents as a show of support when all hope was lost. The teal color was chosen by Gabby's mother, Nicole, because the color reminded her of Gabby's beautiful eyes. Another candlelight vigil was held for Gabby on September 24th in Blue Point, which organizers called Light the Night for Gabby Petito. Candles were lit all over town in Gabby's memory. Also on Thursday, September 23rd, Brian's parents, Christopher and Roberta, traveled to Orlando, Florida, being followed by undercover agents the entire time. As they left their home, reporters asked them about their son's whereabouts as well as questions about Gabby, but got no answers. They took the trip to meet with their attorney, Steve Bertolino, who flew from New York to Orlando for the meeting, presumably because of the federal arrest warrant that was issued for their son. A convoy of unmarked law enforcement vehicles tailed the laundries as they left their Northport, Florida home and headed to Orlando early that morning. As the couple visited the Orlando Public Library, undercover agents, believed to be with the FBI, followed them into the library, staying in nearby aisles to keep them under constant surveillance. Meanwhile, on September 24th, the search for Brian was still underway in the 25,000 acres of Florida swampland, with no signs of Brian anywhere. More than 50 searchers made up of FBI agents, Northport police officers, and various other law enforcement agencies logged their sixth day tracking him in the dense swampland using dive teams, dogs, drones, ATVs, and infrared cameras. Commander Joseph Fusel, who is leading the search in Florida, said, We're looking through wooded areas. We're looking through bodies of water. We're looking through um, swampy areas. Um, and we're deploying the resources to be able to do that. We have air units. We have drones. We have the swamp buggies, air boats, multiple law enforcement agencies. We have ATVs. We have UTVs. And we have officers on foot as well. Alan McEwen, a Florida cattle rancher, lives outside the Carlton Reserve and has been assisting police with the ongoing search. 
Alan has spent 30 years exploring the area, and he doesn't think it's a place where humans can easily live. He told Fox News, There's no surviving out here, I, I don't know how to say. But I have learned a lot in my life, and one thing I know is nobody's going to stop by over there for two weeks on foot. Former L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Mike Hansel, who is not involved in the search for Brian, suspects that after the lengthy search, Brian is probably not there, and referred to the lack of tracks that have been found. He said, I can accurately estimate they are spending $200,000 a day on this search, and if this thing turns out to be bogus, and they can prove that the family misled law enforcement on this, the parents will get a bill. Any time he would move, especially in the Carlton, he would leave trails because you sink in the mud. There would be evidence that somebody has been moving through there, and any canine will pick that up. Hazel claims there's been no scent or prints of Brian so far. He also said, so far, I've heard they found none of that. If that's true, then laundry is probably not there. Chris Boyer, who's the executive director of the nonprofit National Association for Search and Rescue, said this to CNN. Trying to find a person in the wilderness can be very difficult. It's really hard to find people, even when they want to be found. What makes it especially difficult to find Brian is how far he could have traveled before authorities were alerted or even started searching for him. Some believe that Brian could be on the Appalachian Trail. A friend of Gabby's, Rose Davis, who spoke to People magazine, said, I know he lived in the Appalachians for what I believe was three months, and he did it by himself, so I know he's skilled at it. He is out in the wilderness, I promise you. Rose also thought Brian was jealous and controlling, stating that he and Gabby had been fighting a lot. She said, I think that's one reason why Brian rushed into this van trip. He saw how close we were getting, and he realized that after every fight, she was staying at my house, and he didn't have control over that. You don't know what it's like for someone you considered a friend to murder your best friend, she says. I've stayed at their house. I've slept in the same house as him. I ate dinners with him, played board games with him, gone to the beach, even though he didn't really hang out with us at the beach, but going to the beach with him. That's scary. Other friends of the couple have also spoken up about Brian and Gabby's relationship, and it seems as though many of them have a similar sentiment, that it was at times a tense relationship with lots of ups and downs. Ben Matula, a friend of Brian's, said this, referring to Brian and Gabby's relationship when they were teenagers in Long Island, New York. One minute, they'd be all over each other. The next minute, he'd be like, we're fighting. They always had some drama. There was always something below the surface where things weren't 100% wonderful. Gabby's friend Alyssa Chen had this to say about her friend Gabby's on-again, off-again relationship with Brian. They had times they were toxic and times where everything seemed a lot more healthy. They had very low lows and very high highs, but they really seemed to love each other. When things were good, you'd be like, why can't I have a relationship like that? When they were bad, you'd be like, oh my God, just break up and spare yourself from the drama and everyone else from having to hear it. Police believe that the relationship between the two became more strained during their tragic road trip, 
Multiple reports of incidents on the trip also support this theory. Police believe the relationship between the two became more strained during their tragic road trip. Multiple reports of incidents on the trip also support this theory. The argument in Mary Piglet's Mexican Grill in Jackson, Wyoming, the incident outside Moonflower Grocery Store, and how upset Gabby was when they were pulled over by the police. She is visibly crying on the body cam footage. In the warrant application, Northport Police Detective Daniel Alex wrote that texts between Gabby and her mother showed that there appeared to be more and more tension between her and Laundry during the road trip. Ben said, The guy who he's being made out to be isn't the guy I knew. But then I have to look at what's going on and realize he did some stuff that seems like it was shady. Seems like maybe he wasn't on the up and up. And because he did that stuff... A girl might be dead, and he might be in trouble. Brian and Gabby both used to work at the Publix grocery store in Northport, Florida. A former co-worker there, Nicole Kalanich, told Business Insider she's shocked at the news of Gabby's disappearance. She described Gabby as happy and cheerful, and said that while the three of them never spent time together outside of work, she kept in touch with both Gabby and Brian through texts and FaceTime, once they quit their job prior to leaving on their trip. She was also quoted saying, They never complained. They were couple goals for me. One of Brian's classmates in high school, Sean Leahy, said, All of this stuff coming out, I'm like surprised because every time I ever hung out with Brian, had classes with Brian, he was a really nice kid, a really funny kid. I only met Gabby probably one or two times, three times. She, every time I met her, she was really nice. Sean's dad described Brian as quiet and a good kid growing up, but added that, The one thing that troubles me is that he came home. He didn't say nothing, and he got a lawyer. I don't want to think the worst of him, and I'm hoping for the best for her. However, Two of Gabby's friends, Nikki Passanate and Stephen Evans, said they never met her boyfriend, but that the couple seemed happy. Stephen said, So I never actually got to meet him. Um, when they did get engaged, they actually asked me to photograph their wedding. Um, but since then, I never really heard much about him and really know what he even looked like up until now. Nikki added, I never got the chance to meet him. I mean, they moved to Florida pretty early in their relationship and we're in Long Island. And yeah, unfortunately, we never got to know a lot. But from what she says and what she posts, they seem to be pretty in love. When Stephen was asked whether Gabby would have chosen to venture out on her own, he didn't seem to think so, saying, You know, I, I wish that could be a possibility. I do. I just, she's not a person that would just go off on her own like that. She's, she's an independent person, but not like that. She wouldn't just fall off the grid and not come in contact with family. She would call her parents every day, sometimes a couple times a day. So this is just very, very out of the ordinary. In another bizarre turn of events, if this story doesn't already have enough twists and turns, Dog the Bounty Hunter, whose real name is Dwayne Lee Chapman, 
joined the search for Brian. He showed up at the laundry home and knocked on their front door, but didn't get an answer. Instead, Roberta, Brian's mom, called 911. The address of the call, 4343. Whenever 10 North, where I was landline, what was that traffic? We just had the female from that 1020 call in on 911, reference the situation with the male. All right, 4 Twitter user with the handle at XOMoonPixie put it quite frankly, tweeting, The fact that Brian Laundrie's parents called the police on Dog the Bounty Hunter, but not about Gabby Petito missing, speaks volumes. Josh Taylor, Northport Police spokesperson, said, We've been called to the house numerous times for all sorts of issues. Media, protesters, celebrity searchers. It's not something normal. If the family calls and is concerned, we will respond like we would for anyone. The American television personality and former bail bondsman received more than 1,000 tips since joining the search. He was quoted saying, We've gotten over 1,000 leads, so we're going through all those leads. I would say within 48 hours, we probably will have a location where we start the tracking at. And he may be delivering on that promise. On September 27th, he located a fresh campsite in Florida's Fort DeSoto Park, which is only 75 miles from the Laundry family home, that he thinks was visited by Brian and his parents on their impromptu camping trip. After receiving a tip on Monday indicating that Laundry's parents spent the night in Fort DeSoto Park with Brian on two occasions, from September 1st to 3rd, and again on September 6th to 8th, Dog the Bounty Hunter headed there to investigate. They were registered, went through the gate, they're on camera, they were here. And they did enter, they did come here. Allegedly, what we're hearing is two people left on the 8th, three people came in on the 6th, and two people left on the 8th. I think he's been here for sure. He has his own anonymous tip line set up for people who would prefer not to call authorities at 1-833-TELL-DOG. John Walsh, another American television personality and criminal investigator, has taken interest in the search for Brian. He asked the public for tips, saying, It's the public that will solve this case, and I believe the public will catch this guy. He could have made a deal, but now there's no deal for Brian. They are going to catch him. They are going to throw the book at him, and maybe the parents as well. Walsh said they've received at least three times more phone calls than they've had on any other fugitive in the past. Based on the information he received through 500 tips, he is predicting that Brian is in one of three places, either Mexico, the Bahamas, or the Appalachian Trail. As a result of all the extra attention that Gabby's case brought to the Wyoming area, remains of another man were found. The remains are believed to be that of Robert Lowry, whose story we mentioned in the first series of these bonus episodes. The father of two had been missing since August 20th. His body was found at the base of Teton Pass over a month later. The search and rescue team said, The widespread news coverage of the Gabby Petito search helped bring light to Lowry's case and resulted in at least two members of the public calling local authorities this past weekend with new information about his possible last seen point. His cause of death is still under investigation. 
Investigators have yet to say how Gabby was killed, but believe she died sometime between August 27th and August 30th. The cause of death remains pending final autopsy results, the FBI reported. On the Find Gabby Facebook page that was set up by her family in hopes that the public could help in finding her and bringing her home safe, a post was made stating, Services for our sweet Gabby will be held at Maloney Funeral Home in Holbrook on Sunday, September 26th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Thanks to all for your support and love. I want you to take a look at these pictures. And I want you to be inspired by Gabby. That's what we're looking for. That's something that I want to see. There's a trip that you guys want to take. Take it now. Do it now while you got the time. If there's a relationship that you're in that might not be the best thing for you, leave it now. Gabby Petito's family held a press conference on Tuesday, September 28th from their lawyer Richard Stafford's office, where members of the press noticed the new tattoos the entire family had just gotten the night before. Let it be on all their arms. The exact same tattoo Gabby designed and had on her arm. We don't stop, you know, remembering Gabby and keeping her name out there and, and fighting for, for other people out there like her. Uh, she's always with us every day. She's giving us signs. We actually got behind a car yesterday and there was um, a Wyoming sticker and the, the letters were GBZ. Gabs. So Gabs. <laughs> she's with us. She's with us. She's with us. I would like to take this opportunity to thank you all for listening as we try to pull all this information together for our listeners. We will continue to produce more episodes about this case as information becomes available. For Jeff and Gia, I'm John Gully. Thank you for listening. Please take a look at our Facebook page and give us a like and share it with your friends. We also have a new Reddit account where you can go and discuss our episodes and true crime in general. We also have a Patreon page where we will start making exclusive content available to our supporters. You can go to any of those platforms and search for Speaking of Crime and then look for our new logo and join in on the conversation. If you need some music for your podcast, give Artlist a go. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Speaking of Crime is a production of Studio G in sunny San Diego, California.